Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the week in which he will be crucified. During this week, Jesus spends a lot of time in the temple teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And among the various topics that Jesus addresses, he warns his audience to beware of the scribes, the religious teachers. He says in verse 46 of Luke chapter 20, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. These religious leaders, these scribes, were all style and no substance. They loved to receive honor. They loved to be known as holy, to give long-winded prayers. But as Jesus warns, if you dig below the surface, if you go just a little bit deeper with them, what you find is that the heart, the inside, doesn't match the outside. Inside, in their hearts and their minds, they are corrupt, even to the point of taking advantage of widows and defrauding them. And speaking of widows... Jesus looks up, and he sees one. Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. To more fully understand why Jesus says what he says here in Luke chapter 21, we need to first think about the social and economic state of the poor widow. Widows, along with orphans, were among some of the most vulnerable members of society. In that era, we must remember, 2,000 years ago, women were not particularly free to pursue careers and employment. They weren't particularly free to provide for themselves. Now, of course, in Scripture, there are notable exceptions, but for the most part, in that culture, in that era, women were dependent upon their fathers first and then their husbands after marriage for their financial well-being and security. And so when uh, or if a husband passed away and a woman became a widow, she no longer had his financial covering and security. She becomes vulnerable. Vulnerable because she can't feed herself. Vulnerable because she may not be able to keep on or keep a hold of the home. And because of the vulnerability of a widow, God... In his law, in his way of life for his people, he commanded provision to be made for widows. Because they're vulnerable, God says in his law, take care of them. One of the ways in which uh, the people of Israel were to care for the widows among them was to not completely reap the fields at harvest. If you look at God's law, you'll see that there are provisions made in which as the the gleaners went through, they would leave the edges of the fields so that the widows could come along, reap the edges, the leftovers, so to speak, and feed themselves. They're vulnerable. And so God says, take care of them. The condition of widows in the Old Testament especially was often associated with weeping, with mourning, and with desolation. They're by themselves, left to themselves. 
And together, then, the social and economic outlook for a widow was bleak. And this bleak outlook could quite naturally lead to disillusionment, bitterness, and despair. What is it that is said in the book of Ruth? When Naomi loses her husband and then her two sons, there's no one left to care for her. And she says, don't call me Naomi, now call me Mara, which means bitterness. But the widow that Jesus sees in the temple on that day, that widow reveals something very different. She reveals a profound level of faith and trust in God as she gave her two small coins. Two small coins, by the way, the word here is lepton. A leptos is the single smallest piece of money in circulation. One one one-hundredth of a day's wage. The woman literally had two pennies to rub together. That was it. And she gave it out of her poverty into the temple's boxes for offerings. The rich gave out of their abundance, out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. And because she gave out of her poverty, her gift was a true sacrifice. And that sacrifice, that generous giving, reveals her faith and her trust in God. And as we think about this, as we think about this widow's offering, let's notice what's happening within the wider story of God's people, the narrative arc. Both the the rich and the widow were giving financially in the temple. In the temple near the court of women, there were boxes with these sort of trumpet-like things sticking up from the top of them, and people could walk up to these these boxes with these trumpets, and they could they could put their money in. I kind of think in my mind, you know, those uh, those little change gatherers at, uh, at at McDonald's, where you drop your quarter in, and it goes around in that big circle until it finally drops down into the middle. You know what I'm talking about, right? I spent uh, a lot of money just watching a quarter roll. And in the, in, in near the court of women, there was these boxes with these trumpets that, that people could go in and they'd put their money in. And then sometimes they would tell the person, the attendant there, this gift is this amount and this gift is for this particular purpose. That offering would go towards the upkeep of the temple and maintaining the temple sacrifices. And so as both the rich and the widow put their money into the boxes, they're giving to God by giving to the temple. Now, quite often, if you hang around church circles long enough or if you spend enough time reading the Bible, you'll come across this concept of tithing or the word tithe. You'll come across this concept of offering or the word offer. And what we see happening here is that the widow and the rich are giving offerings to God. They're giving to God from their finances. And this is an ancient custom. Tithing was a a custom found among most ancient nations. It was a gift of 10% of income, 10% of income, 10% of of possessions, 10% of livestock or crops or spoils of war given to someone recognized by the giver to be superior. Sometimes this tithe would be given to kings. Sometimes this tithe would be given to deities by giving to priests and temples. Tithing has an ancient history, and Israel was no exception. In Genesis chapter 4, it's within the context of an offering being given to God that Cain gets ticked off at Abel. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham encountered the priest king Melchizedek and gave him a tenth of everything, a tithe. 
In Genesis chapter 28, as, as Jacob fled his brother Esau and had a vision of a ladder reaching into heaven, he pledges to give God 10% of whatever he has when he returns to the land. After God rescued his people from Egypt, after he led them through the waters of rescue, he revealed to them how they were to live as his holy nation. He gave them his law. And part of his law is the concept of tithing. In Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God's law established three tithes. According to Paul Levertoff, the first 10% went to the Levites who served the temple and God. The second 10% uh, was given in Jerusalem. And the third, every third year, another tithe was given for the support of the poor. If you work out those three tithes across three years, what you find is that a faithful Israelite's uh, would give 23% of their income or possessions to the Lord by giving to the temple every year, 23%. Then, on top of that, came the free will offerings, what people gave over and above the expected tithes. It's most likely, most likely the giving of a free will offering that Jesus saw that day in the temple courts. A free will offering, let's think about this, a free will offering is exactly that, a free will offering. A free will offering is that which comes after the person in the Old Testament law had, had met their obligation to God and given more than what was obligated. And so when that widow goes, she's not giving a tithe. She's not giving that which is required by the law to give. She's giving that which she freely gives to God in response to his grace. That's a sacrifice. That's a love offering, to use the phrase. But why tithe? Why tithe? Why, why give free will offerings? Why give back to God? Well, the giving of tithes and offerings is a sign of devotion and dependence upon God. It's a sign of gratitude for His grace. It flows out of a heart of trust and faith and thankfulness. The giving of tithes and offerings is recognition that what a person has, has come from God's provision. In the words of King David at the end of 1 Chronicles, we read, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. That's a lot that belongs to God right there. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. The giving of tithes and offerings is this recognition that all that we have has come because it's a gift from God. And it is recognition of the fact that all that we have is from God's own not just a recognition in word, but a recognition in deed. It's not enough just to say, I believe that everything comes from God. To give a tithe and an offering is to say that with action. God took and he continues to take tithing seriously. Precisely because it is an act of faith. Precisely because it is a declaration of dependence. 
precisely because tithing and sacrificial giving is an action of trust. God takes and took uh, tithing so seriously that when his people failed to tithe, refused even to tithe, he charged them with robbery. God's prophet Malachi proclaimed his word. We heard it this morning when Lee read to us, Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. A father and a son enjoyed a football game and were traveling home when the little boy announced that he was hungry. So the father pulled over at a hamburger joint to get him a small snack. They decided on an order of french fries, and sitting at a table, the boy hungrily began to devour them. At one point, the father had his mouth watering because of the smell of the salty goodness of the french fries, and he, the father reached across the table to grab a single fry, only for the boy to say, Dad, get your own. These are mine. Oh, some of you are laughing. You are awake. Good. <laughs> some of you are laughing. It's happened to you before. Well, they finished up. They got back into the car, and they, they drove the rest of the way home. And while driving home, the dad reflected upon this. And he, he was thinking to himself, I gave my son every fry he had. And all I wanted was one, a small portion of the whole. My boy doesn't understand, he doesn't understand that, that I could have taken every fry. He doesn't understand that I could have given him more fries than he could possibly have ever eaten. He thought that they were his. He forgot who gave them to him. God's people in Malachi are the exact opposite of King David and the exact opposite of the poor widow. They are the little boy who forgot who gave them the fries. And so are we when we do not tithe to God. They'd forgotten who gave them what they had. And so do we when we don't give to God from what he has given to us. It isn't as if God is greedy. It isn't as if God wants for his people to live in deprivation. Giving to God is, is, a, is a reflection of our faith in God. It's an act of worship that declares that God is the one who provides all things. And after accusing his people of, of robbing him in Malachi chapter 3, God makes a challenge to them. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now, how often have you ever heard in the Old Testament God ever say to his people, go ahead and test me? Not that often. And in fact, when people test God, he kind of responds a little bit ticked off. He wasn't happy with Moses, and I don't believe he's happy with Gideon when Gideon asked to put out those fleeces. Here, God, for one of the only times in all of Scripture, says, test me on this. Go ahead and give me your tithe like you're supposed to do. Test me on this, and you will see, will I not open the widows of heaven for, your, uh, for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need? God promises provision for those who give to him in gratitude, faith, and trust. He promises to meet their needs. 
And we've got to recognize that God is not going to answer Janice Joplin's prayer. Oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? All my friends drive Porsches. I must make amends. He's not promising some sort of prosperity gospel that Jesus died for you to make you rich. No, what he's promising is to fulfill the needs of his people as they trust him, respond to him in his grace by giving back to him what he has given to them. In this act of worship, he is promising to make sure that they have everything they need, not everything they greed. He invites them to test him, to try it, give the tithe and see what he will do because he is the one who gave them what they have in the first place. A generous giving to God is a sacrifice, a sacrifice that reveals faith. Now, back to our widow. John Piper, in his book, Living in the Light, Money, Sex, and Power, he makes the point that the, the use of money reveals where a person's affection, where their faith, where their devotion lies. And the widow, as Jesus points out, gave all she had to God. She holds nothing back. We have to notice Jesus commends not the amount of the gift, but the faith and the affections that prompted the gift. The rich gave out of their abundance. The implication is that their lifestyle would not be affected by their gift. They could walk out of the temple precincts and go and buy themselves a falafel and filafel and a shawarma with no problem. The widow gave out of her poverty. The implication is that her lifestyle quite clearly would be affected by her sacrifice. She does not know where her next meal will come from. She cannot buy bread. She gave her last two pennies. Jesus is not focusing on the gift itself. He is focusing on the giver and what the gift reveals about the giver. The widow's gift reveals a profound level of trust and dependence upon God. Can we say that the widow is taking God's word through Malachi seriously? Can we say that she, among all the others, knows what it is to seek first the kingdom of God and trust him to meet her needs? And can we say that she embodies the faith which lies behind the words, give us this day our daily bread? Sacrificial giving to God reveals faith, reveals trust, it reveals dependence upon God. Giving, tithing, sacrifice, all done in faith, all done in trust, all done in dependence upon God, the creator and the redeemer who is himself the generous giver. Considering the poor widow, considering God's call, considering Jesus' grace, what might we say about giving to God in our context today? First, let's note that while it is appropriate to feel a little bit of guilt when it comes to finances and tithing, that guilt is something we like to call conviction. That went over much better in the 745 service. <laughs> it's appropriate for us to be convicted in the way we use or don't use our money when it comes to God. But we have to recognize that what God desires is not for uh, giving out of compulsion, but a giving out of joy and thanksgiving that we are able to give in the first place. 
Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The widow is our example in this. I do not believe the widow went to put in her two coins with the grumblepuss face. I do not believe she went to give her two, point, two coins grumbling that God would require it. I believe she went to give her two coins with joy in her heart, knowing that God would provide everything she needed. And so she cheerfully gave, graciously gave. There's a story about a man who went to see his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I'm afraid I can't tithe anymore. And so the pastor said, what, what, What's going on? What, what, what happened? And he said, well, pastor, when I, when I was making $20,000 a year, I, I could afford to tithe $2,000. But now that I make $70,000 a year, $7,000 just seems like too big of a number. <clears throat> Will you pray for me? And the pastor said, of course. And so the pastor said, Heavenly Father, we pray. We pray that you would return this man back to his $20,000 a year income so that he could afford... Not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. Knowing that what you have is from God. And the widow shows that to us. Second, so the first thing to take home today, sacrificial giving reveals faith and trust. Tithing reveals faith and trust. While it's appropriate to be convicted, we give out of joy. Secondly, tithing, the giving of 10% of of what one receives from God through work should be given within the context of the local church. Might be a little controversial for me to say that, but that's okay, I can deal with it. A church member gives where a church member has been fed. The church is what Jesus said he would build, and while there are certainly lots of valuable and fruitful ministries that can be supported by our finances, they are, they are not directly perhaps connected to the church, and so it is the church to which one belongs and in which one serves and worships that ought to be the fundamental recipient of the tithe. Third, for believers in Jesus, the tithe is, the giving of 10% is the minimal standard. Another controversial one, I can tell. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, puts it this way. Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than the Old Testament believers or less? Are we more debtors to grace than they were or less? Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save us or did he give it all? Tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position to give, of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. Minimum standards, 10%. Finally, what is perhaps often overlooked is the fact that as we give of our lives, as we tithe, we're actually proclaiming the gospel and pointing towards Jesus. You think again of this poor widow in Luke chapter 21. She also shows up in Mark chapter 12. Believe it or not, there's overlap in the gospels, as there should be. Think again of this poor widow and her sacrificial gifts. She gave out of all that she had. She gave out of her livelihood. She gave out of her very life. And she points toward Jesus 
the one who gave his life. And as we give out of our livelihood, as we give out of our lives, we point toward the one who, though he was rich, St. Paul writes, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. Tithing is a spiritual issue. Tithing is a discipline that God has given us so that we can, with Jesus' help, topple the idol of wealth in our hearts and minds. Tithing is a discipline that he has given us so that, like I've said before, we, like Ulysses, can tie ourselves to the mast of his ship and ignore the siren's call and stay focused on God who is the one who gives us everything. Giving to God, especially sacrificial giving like the widow, is an act of worship that reveals faith, trust, and dependence upon God and points toward the one in whom we have abundant life. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.